The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey everybody, welcome to the winemakers. I'm John Myers, sitting here with Bart Hansen and Hello. Brian Casey today. Hey John. <laughs> How you guys doing? Doing well. Uh our friend Sam is still on special assignment. The snow must be good in Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there is I'm, any snow. Is there actually um, snow? I, still? I, I mean, I, skiable I, snow? I actually saw a picture of um, of Phil Katuri on the slopes on the 4th of July. I think Holy I saw that. So, and and that has passed us now. Um, but yeah, no, they were skiing on the 4th of July. I actually saw a, n- a number of people doing I that. I think they might just be hanging out at the cabin. I think they have a cabin up there and they get the in-laws in town. So. That's all okay. They they should uh, they should do it. They work, yeah. they work hard enough, believe me. So. Well, and I'd like to say thanks to John. We, we're at John's house today um, doing the podcast live from the uh, Myers homestead. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's fun. As beautiful as it is hard to find. And John has put out a nice spread for us today of meats and cheeses and crackers and and good wines. And he asked me, "What do you think? I what what should I get? Should I get these kind of crackers or these kind of crackers?" I said, "It's just going to be Bart and I. We don't really care." Um, well, the idea is it is a very European um, uh, lunch, though. Which it is, but I then do I love. was kind of disappointed because then he said, "Okay, well, if you don't care, I'm just going to do hot dogs." <laughs> so I got here. I was expecting hot dogs, and then yeah, we sit right. down, and he starts busting out all this nice cheese Brought and cherries by and Johnsonville, man. I expected to see the grill going in the backyard. No, but n- next time we do it here, we'll do it outside. Some burgers. So, yeah, do some burgers and some so, dogs. Hey, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this is episode number 12. So, hey, we're getting up there, and uh, people are responding. So thank you for uh, uh, getting back to us with your uh, thoughts and ideas and everything else. Uh, now, today I wanted to... Uh, I just bought a bottle of wine this morning, and I bought it because it said... Made with organic grapes. It's a Spanish wine. I don't know, um, Bart. You've got the bottle. What are the grapes that they're using? Well, it's- the the label is Honero Vera, and the variety is. I'll go it's to the a Monastrel, so it's a Movedra, hundred percent Movedra, uh, from Jumia, Jumia, Jumia. And so um, I bought it. Based on it's a, it's got a nice label. It's got that nice little logo on there from the. It looks like the European Union, uh, or maybe that's international. Well, it's it's a organic. Yeah, it is the. Uh, it's it's obviously the local organic certifying um, organization. And so um, the question is, is that a natural wine? Well, I, you know, it, this is this whole thing. There are no written laws what is a natural wine um i guess you know to be a organic wine it has to have no added sulfites um so that is the key correct and no roundup well uh, well that goes with the farming so that's different that's winemaking as opposed to a vineyard uh you know grape growing so, um, so we've got two sides of it. So that's what we're really talking about. Those are organic grapes. These are organically, these are certified organically grown grapes. 
um, that were taken to a winery, which may or may not have been a certified organic winery, um, and processed there. Um, Now I get what you were talking about. I mean, there there are wineries that make there are wineries that make natural wines, and in their mind, a natural wine is something with no added sulfur. And again, going back to those other things that are no filtration and you know adding no acid or adding no water or or doing anything. Um, And then there are people who talk about making natural winemaking. You know, we've discussed this in in previous. Um, right, shows. But people still want to know. That's one of the big things uh, that I get um, from my email is they want to know this whole organic, natural thing. I know we've covered it, but obviously there's an interest out there. Well, I mean, you know, John, you can. I'm sure somewhere there's somebody that's buying grapes um, that are farmed traditionally, meaning that the vineyards are. Um, farmed with Roundup, right? The, you know, they keep their weed suppressant done with Roundup, and they're delivered to a winemaker who tries to do his best with making the wine, and he adds nothing else to it. He doesn't add yeast. He doesn't add ML. He doesn't add enzymes. You know, he adds a little bit of sulfur to help keep the wine preserved so it doesn't rapidly decline. And he may feel that he's operating under organic, you know, I mean, under natural winemaking rules how he sells himself is a whole nother thing and you know it's all a matter of how you present yourself to the market and that was presented as organic and that's why i bought it so there are two different ways organic means growth and and the wine the grapes themselves the fruit and natural is the wine making what you do so in in correct unless the laws have changed um in the recent years that I'm, that I've missed in order, if you have certified organic grapes, you can put on your label made from organically grown grapes or produced by organically grown grapes. The other thing you can, or in order to call it an organic wine, I believe you can add no sulfur to it. Okay. Okay. So that's two different labelings. Right, and I've seen organically farmed before. Is, is and I think Phil does that with some organically farmed by yeah, um, yeah. Very, yeah. farmed f- organically right. farmed grapes. But John, I think the the key is that natural still has no meaning or legal ramifications out there in the in the wine world as far as labeling goes. So does it matter? Um, well, you know, I th- it might get to that point. You know, I think organic was was like that at one point, and I think um, biodynamic was like that at one point. Maybe natural will get to that point where it's that's actually a term, and there will be... It, the, 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 it, how much it matters is up to the consumer. It's, right. it's a niche market, right? Sure, it's I mean, always going to be a niche market. Absolutely. Like like any other um, product out there. I mean, yeah, look, you go over to imagery. How many different varietals do they have? And how many... 24. People? Yeah, maybe more than that. <laughs> yeah. About 24. And uh, who, would, who else would make a uh, Petite Verdot? Straight. Or a uh, LeGrine. Right. I mean, some of the ones that... So they're filling... Well, the amazing thing is... Filling some niche markets there. Right. And, and the amazing thing is, 20 years ago, it was more like who would make a Petit Sirah and who would make a Cabernet Franc. And they were still doing <laughs> um, Petit Verdot, you know, and 15 years ago starting doing LeGrine. So they've been doing that for a while now. Now there are people that do a LeGrine and there are people that do a... Petit Verdot. I mean, 
So the niche market wasn't wasn't being they weren't able to fill it. So more people have started to work that niche market. Same things happen in natural or organically grown wines. Everybody's trying to get behind something that will make them unique and distinctive. Well, that's the key, right? Um, it's interesting to notice that Sweet D for Grenache Night. Now, out of all of the Grenaches... This is last year, you mean? Yes. Yeah. So there were some really great wines there, Yeah. including yours, Bart. Of course, so, of John. Course. Yeah. <laughs> so the one that I couldn't buy, though, I could get some from you, I could get some, etc., was the imagery. And I hassled uh, Clayton and uh, everybody I possibly could hassle about getting a hold of some. Finally, I'm just I'm just having lunch at, at the Jack. Uh, Joy comes over, says, "Hey, uh, you're about the podcast. You're, you know, here it's doing well." And I said, "God, boy, you know you could really do me a favor, Joy, if you could find me some of that Grenache." Oh, you know what? Just run down there right now and tell them I told you it's under my desk down there. It's a case. Go ahead. Boom. And I got it. I've been chasing it for a year. And what is that's from uh, High Plains? It I is where they were sourcing that. Yeah, I think that was a Lake County. Man. Or no, it might have been their their vineyard in um, Cloverdale that they bought. Pine Ridge. Pine Pine Mountain. Was it Pine, Pine Mountain, Mountain Appalachian? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, good stuff. Well, Grenache is on the uh, on the up and up and up. I think. Um, this is one of the articles that I sent you Keeps earlier going, in the week yeah. is that um, Grenache is going to, it's, you know, people are ripping out other stuff and planting Grenache and it's for a variety of reasons because, you know, younger people, millennials or whatever generation you want to call them don't really care if they're drinking Cab or, or Pinot or uh, whatever it may be. But also that Grenache can survive a little bit hotter weather, which talk about climate shift, climate change, uh, global warming, whatever you want to call it these days. Uh, Grenache can take a little bit more heat and a little bit less water, um, but I think uh, Grenache is uh, definitely on the rise right now. We um, at Lassiter, I want to say it's probably been five years now. We actually teabutted over Cabernet to Grenache. See now, listen to that. Listen and, to that statement right I there. I mean, yes. first of all, teabutted over a Cabernet okay. with Grenache, which there's never enough Cabernet in Sonoma Valley to fill the pipeline. Right. And 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 this isn't any reason because the Lassiters are foreseeing the Grenache. Um, it's more of that they've fallen in love with it. But without a yeah. doubt, there is a a growth impact. That's well, you know. But look back on your sense, you. T-budded. Okay. Is that what you said? That was the I did. Quote? Yes. Okay, so explain that because nobody who's listening actually knows that except you. Well, well. remember Mr. T from the A-team. <laughs> go right ahead, Brian. <laughs> no, no, I think I think Sam took this over last time, and I, I think it's basically just grafting, correct? You're using yeah, it's existing grafting. So, so we have, um, you know, uh, when you plant a vineyard, you put rootstock in uh, the ground, and then you bud it over to a variety that you want. So at Lasseter, we had some plant, uh, some vines that had been planted in the early 90s that was all Cabernet. And what they did is they came in, they cut off the top of it, put graft two buds on each side of the vine of Grenache, and um, that spring, a new vine grows out of it with a new variety. Right, and so you essentially change the flavor. You know, when you go to the nursery, you can find these apple trees 
that has you know four different branches that has four different varieties of apples on it. Um, it, there's all sorts of things like that. So, but yeah. in it's it's a natural occurrence in the wine business. Understood. Or in the grape growing. As long business. as the listeners do, I do. Yeah, well, you know, you have to talk about it over and over until you really understand. Well, I think if you're what you're doing with the with the the vine itself, right. you know. But if you're at home and let's say you have a rose bush in your backyard that has red roses, and you decide, you know what, I really like pink roses, so you prune the red roses, you you snip them off. And then you take pink roses and you do a little little diagonal cut. So you do like Pac-Man, the Waka Waka Pac-Man. And you do a little <laughs> di- Waka Waka, Waka, Pac-Man. Waka Pac-Man. You do a little <laughs> diagonal cut and where you're going to put it in. You did a little arrow cut on, on the pink rose. You slide it in and there's some stuff that you put on it. I don't know what it's called. Duct tape. You, it's not duct tape. <laughs> there's some stuff you put on there and then you... Grafting kind of, tape. Grafting tape. And you bandage it up and then... So that your existing roots, the roots that you had for those red roses, will now support those pink roses that you just put on the top. And it's the same thing, um, just doing it with a different variety of wine. Well, you were talking about the fact that Grenache, the the market is heating up. And it's a big thing. Uh, Bloomberg is... A little play on words there, heating up. Yes, it is. Exactly, Uh, yes. Bloomberg (laughs) says the next, uh, next year's hot region, Loire Valley. Oh, man, what a place. You've been there, right, a bunch of times? I've been there one time. Um, I have a heart for the Loire Valley with, <sighs> as much as I love Chenin Blanc. Yep. Um, uh, and I did, yes, we went there on our, on our honeymoon and spent uh, about four days in the area blindly exploring an area before the internet and cell phones. Um, just <laughs> kind of best bumb- way to do it. It, it would actually, it, it was. It was just bumbling along and finding our way. Um, around yeah. so. well, from where you were in on Zane, it's you know you just you follow the river up and down. That's it. The river is everything there. Well, it is, but you know, like so many places in, I've not really well traveled, but you know, my experiences in France is when you take one of those perpendicular roads off of those main roads. That's where you really kind of find yourself in a different part of what what you that's think. where you want to be that's exactly it that's where you want to exactly. be so you got to get away from the river to kind of discover now you shouldn't go back there hungry and um with low on gas because you may get yourself in trouble but there are <laughs> there are places i i swear to god uh bart that i drove for an hour praying to god that there would be a gas station someplace close and we just barely make it you know, I mean, you really, really, you know, you're in the country there. I mean, some of these little towns that are actually legally on the map and have a name, they've got 12 houses, no pharmacy, no nothing. And you, you go to the next little village for the pharmacy, et cetera. So, but, uh, you know, if the Loire heats up as a, as a trend, I mean, is that going to include uh, Grenache? And is it going to, you know? No, because there's uh, the red wine in... Loire is either Pinot Noir or Cabernet Franc. Franc. Yeah. Well, Cab Franc and Pinot Noir are two of my favorites, and no wonder I love that. Well, stuff. you're a Loire guy, then. You you like you like Bart Chenin Blanc, which I'm gonna I'm gonna say again. Bart did a Chenin Blanc Cellars, and it is still in it's still in barrel, cement, barrels. and stainless steel. And it is yet to be bottled, but it, we are getting close. And I am. We're I, actually gonna. We're actually gonna blend the blend it tomorrow. 
Oh, so really? tomorrow it's coming out of all those containers and going into tank. And who's we? Who's we are doing? Well, we is that, me. That's an invitation okay, to oh, you. Say, well, yeah. if you're not doing anything, Brian, you can come and clean the barrels. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I thought you were a one-man show. <laughs> I Yeah. Well, we as in, yeah, yeah, me. Okay. So, yeah, I am tomorrow um, I'm doing a little blend for Lassiter and... When I get done with that, then I'm going to work on the blend for the 2016 Jeez. Uh, Dharma's Buddha Chenin Blanc. The Buddha Blanc. So tell us how you're going to go about this. So you're going to you're going to take the three different samples, equal parts of every one of them, and then pour them together in a beaker or something, and then and then, or are you going to taste them individually, decide what you like about each individual one, and then how much you should add to the final blend? So in this case, um, with a group of friends, I've kind of tasted some people um, on it. You've been someone who's tasted that, and we've tasted all the components separately um, and tried to decide, was there a reason to take out one section and bottle it by itself? But then I also took the sum of the three, the concrete fermented, stainless steel fermented, and um, oak fermented, and put them together just as the as the gallons are. Um, and that always seemed to win. Right. It was always the most complete wine that people really enjoyed the most. Yeah. So, you know, with Sam, with his, you know, trying to bottle two different rosés and how it's, you know, really cool for tasting, but maybe <laughs> not the best marketing. Right, right. In my case, it worked out that it tastes, they taste the best together. Um, okay. And, and you do you know, have equal amounts of every one of them? There's, um, there's two barrels of cement fermentation, two barrels of barrel fermentation, and three stainless steel drums. And so so there's slightly more um, stainless steel. Okay, so are you going to just put them all together, everything, throw yeah. it all together? Yeah, so it's all okay. going to go together in okay. one tank. Yeah. Beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Believe me, when that comes, so when when is it available? Well, so said we're gonna, getting ready, 2016. So to 2016, so we'll uh, blend it tomorrow. It'll stay in the tank for a couple of weeks. We'll chill it down to approximately 20 degrees to try to cold stabilize it. Can so. you explain that to me? Because, <laughs> yeah, the, thank you. I knew that was and coming. I know. And for those of you out there who don't know what cold stabilization is, if you've ever had a wine, and, and I know I'm pouring one at the restaurant right now that is like this, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's a little bit frustrating um, for people that don't know what it is, and you try and pour them a glass of white wine or rosé that has had a problem with cold stabilization, and, and you have those crystals at the bottom. They almost look like really flat, like little leaf, see-through leaf uh, crystals. And they're, and it's all natural. It's a natural product. I don't mind drinking it myself, but um, but when you're pouring it for people that don't know what it is, they think there's something wrong with the wine, so you end up having to take it back from the table and pour them a glass out of a fresh bottle. Um, so you're wasting wine. So why is that? How, like, how does that happen? So, you know, sometimes people mistake it for glass, um, you know, and on a red wine, you might see it on the end of the cork when you pull the cork. Absolutely. That's um, right. Which, it, yeah. you know, my boss at Kenwood and when I was learning, he always thought that was a nice touch to the top of a cork to have those crystals there. On, on like a red a, wine. It's like a Christmas decoration hanging on a tree <laughs> or something like the glittery balls. We. Oh, right. <laughs> um, so that is um, uh, tartaric acid that drops out. So when you chill the wine down to 20 degrees, uh, you know, there's a standard UC Davis um, uh, formula for this, you know, 20 degrees for 26 days, the wine will be cold stable. And what that means is when you chill it down that far, 
all the tartaric crystals um, that are in it um, will precipitate out. They'll come out of solution and they'll stick to the cold part of the tank. And oh, so that's, okay. that's the tar tartrates adhering to the side of the tank. Okay. And then that is what cream of tartar is. If you ever look, John's probably got a little thing of cream of tartar up here in one of these beautiful cabinets. Everybody does. I, and if you go and look on it. Years. I use it to clean coins. Okay. And if you go and coins. you look on it, the little emblem on the side is usually a wine barrel. Because that's where cream of tartar is harvested from traditionally from the making of wine. Okay, so it sounds like if you get it down to 20 degrees for basically a little over three weeks or whatnot, then, then they adhere to the side. So why are they ending up sometimes in the bottle? Because sometimes people don't check it well enough, or sometimes the wine gets even colder than that. You know, the, the biggest mm -hmm. problem is this, is it's when someone throws a bottle of wine in their freezer to chill it down real quick, and then they forget about it, and the wine actually freezes, so then, you know, it's pushed the cork out a little bit. You go, you leave it out on the counter, you let it, you know, go back, and those crystals may stay and fall to the solution. Um, in the case of what you have, the problem at the restaurant where you're having it, you know, depending on what the winery is, they may not worry about it that much. You know, if it's, it's one thing if it's out in broad production at every Safeway or every shopping, you know, grocery store in America. It's another thing if it's being sold, hand sold, small restaurants, small distributors, and the wineries just aren't as worried about yeah, it. Yeah, I think but for me, the problem is when it's, a, when it's a wine that's in the price point that you're selling it to a restaurant as a BTG or buy the glass wine. Because it's not that someone's going to order a bottle and you're opening the bottle up at the table and you have time to explain to them what that is that's in their bottle. When you're talking about a buy the glass wine, it's a wine that's going out in volume. So it's going out in glasses to the tables at a rapid pace. So you don't always have time to explain to people why this is in I, the bottom I, of their glass. I, I get it, Brian. Yeah. And, and so therefore, what's the answer? It's, you know, you got to go back to that winery and their lab I, and their, you know, it's, 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 it's I something agree. that yeah. gets missed at the winery. I agree. And when How I was often? buying wine and, and, the and, let, and let's face it, at a, at a buy the glass price, you know, those tend to be a little bit larger wineries if anything, they should be more aware of it than the small right. wineries who's not worried Well, and this it. one is not. It's one of the cool kid wineries, and I'm surprised because if it was me, I'd probably tell them to, that we weren't going to pour it by the glass <laughs> anymore because it it's the time involved that, that you're explaining to people mm -hmm. what that is and et cetera. And, you know, so this I, sounds like it's a real problem for you. Well, if, you know... If, well, it's, uh, let's, let's get it straight. It's a real problem for the particular wines that it's a problem for. And if it's a popular wine, it is, you know. Well, and, it sounds and, like you're talking a lot about it. Well, it's a, ro it's a rosé and it's, you know, it's summertime and people want a glass of rosé and they, they want something nice and, and light and crisp and clean. And then, and then when they've got these crystals in the bottom of their glass or if they see them floating around in there, then, then they start to question, well, what is this? And, and, you know, we're always trained as, as people in the front of the house, as service professionals, you don't, you don't tell the guests that they're wrong not to right. not like that. You tell them, well, let me get you another glass that doesn't have it. Just like when people serve port um, by the glass and they, you know, you always train your bartenders to strain out the bottom of the bottle when you're, when you're pouring out port because you've got that sediment down there. A lot. Right. And someone's, you know, they're paying $15, $20 a glass. That's not, they don't want to chew through their wine. Well, that's exactly um, right. You know, this weekend we were, went out to dinner um, and sitting having our wine before dinner and 
some people sat down across from us and a woman was poured a red glass of red wine and I looked over and I said, oh, there's a piece of cork in there. You know, I could see it from that distance. And I saw her go to taste it and then she put it back down and she kind of tried to mess with it and she showed it to her husband or date or whatever and they conversed about it and he kind of like looked at it and they sent it back and they went and I saw him pour it out and get him another glass of wine. Yeah. And it's like, you oh, know, really, really man. careful. I would have got in there. I would have taken that cork oh, out, so easy. rubbed it on my shirt and drank the <laughs> glass of wine. Right. But, or, you or, know, you know, the bartender, you can pour it through a screen. But it's just one of those things when, you know, as service professionals, that that's not what you do. You you tell the people, oh, let me get you another glass. So you're in essence, you're wasting wine. But um yeah, you know, I mean, I, that's why I was always curious. Like, what what step are they missing in the? Because I hear that every now and then. Oh, there was a problem with cold stabilization. So you're just interested to know, like, what? I mean, so what? the step is, is that, is that, and and then again, also some of these tests, they're not exact science, right? You know, you can send a, a wine out to be cold stabilized with two different labs, and get two different answers because they have different standards, and so like so many things when you're dealing with analytical numbers in the wine business it's not necessarily what the number is to start but it's the consistency of the number and it's how much that number changes hmm. so if you have one person that runs your sulfurs or one pe person that does your alcohols because it's not it's it's not necessarily a mechanical app uh, a mechanical um process just a little drip of something that you're using to do the analysis can change it so if the same person usually has the same nuance, so it's it's more about having the same person do it all the time. Hmm. So who knows? Maybe that said winery sent it to uh, Vinquiry one time and then sent it to um, somebody else the next time, and they got two different numbers. Right, right. Now, Sam would say we are going way down the rabbit hole on this <laughs> um, because, you know, that's the whole thing about demystifying wine. On the other hand, it gets so damn complicated. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's 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 kind of scary. It's, it's no. one of the it's one I of the would, simplest processes in the world. Isn't that like, amazing? You know, if you just crush up the grapes and let them sit in the yeah. bucket for, you know, two or three weeks and strain it off, it's probably wine. Is it world class <laughs> wine that you're going to bottle and save for months? No, but it'll do. It'll do the, the pinch, job, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Or you can go to the complete other side of it. You know, where you do everything in the world to process it, you know? So, um, well, it's finding the middle you, ground. You've started your own. You've had a lot of, you both have a lot of background in it. You know, are you making your, your, what ultimately you really wanted to make now? I mean, is this your wine? Oh, they've always been my wine. Um, I mean, Dane, you've, you've really, the, 2012. I mean, ask my wife Joan. I mean, it just it has absolutely been her favorite wine forever. Thank you. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, I, I, we look at things a really different way. You know, like I said, when I when I pour a glass of wine, regardless of what it is, the first thing I'm looking for is there's something wrong with this wine. Like, what's not right? And I may focus on things that bother me. Like, um, well, you know, the, how much acid is it? Is it have VA? Does it smell like vinegar? Is it, you know, is it over oaked? Is it overly sweet? You know? Um, and, and, and my wife, Terry, you know, she tastes the wines and, and she has in her mind what she thinks is wrong and right. 
and I'll pour a glass of, you know, European white wine and I'll be just going crazy over it. And she'll say, oh, this is the most, this is the worst thing I've had in my life. And I'm like, okay, you know, so um, it's all a matter of your own perception. But that's so how you're to, taught, to original uh, my wine, um, I'm, I'm happy with every wine I bottle because if I wasn't, I wouldn't bottle them. Um, have I made the ultimate wine? Not even close. You know, but a you're long trying. ways to go. Which you try every year. You get one that, chance at it. That's right. So well, see, I'm a white wine drinker primarily. I mean, I drink a lot of red wine, but primarily drink white wine. So I am most excited about this Chenin Blanc <laughs> that that Bart is bottling soon because for me, this is this is right in my wheelhouse, and, and I love the fact D- that he Dane Sellers dot com. DaneSellers.com, everywhere yep. on the web, you know, at Dane Sellers. We're, we're there. Yeah. But, Bart, the way you, the way you um, assess wine is actually how they teach Psalms to do it. At, at what you're doing, your first analysis is, is there any flaws in the wine? Is there any VA in the wine? Um, and that's, that's how they teach us. So. I mean, yeah, and, and you know, the, the, the people that I learned about tasting wine with and, and making wine – you know, if you focused on something that's um, that's out of out of what it should be, the beautiful things tend to come from it. Right. Um, so, if you look for something that's that's not right, um, the, the beautiful things will show themselves. Um, so. And you look for when you open one. <clears throat> well, I mean, when I first open one, I'm always looking for a corked bottle. I mean, it's the first thing when I pull a cork is I'm You're smelling right. everybody. At, at the girl in the fig. I mean, that's the first thing John Wilson does. And Smell. they were trained well, daily <laughs> by you. <laughs> well, when you sell that much wine by the glass, a bartender, when they open up a bottle and sell a glass of wine, you have to smell that wine that you're opening. Otherwise, my worst fear, and this happened periodically, is that a bartender comes to you and hands you a, a bottle of wine that's a third full, <laughs> and they say, oh, I think this is corked. And you smell it and you say, yeah, that's corked. And so you, then your first question is, well, what happened to the other two-thirds of the bottle? Oh, well, we sold it. So, so, so three or four people actually tasted that wine that was corked and thought that that's what that wine was supposed to taste like. So it's not just that you're representing the restaurant in a bad way, but you're representing the, the winemaker in a bad way. Because people are, let's say there, it was Bart's uh, Valeria, his red blend. So then they think, oh, that's the way his wine tasted. Well, they're not going to buy his wine if that's the way that it tastes. Yeah, you know, there's a small percentage of people that really know what cork taint is or what that flavor is. And so a lot of times, if you do have a bottle, fortunately, there's not that many corked bottles not anymore. Not anymore, right. Um, uh, but if they don't know what it is, they just associate it with the wine not being that good. That it just tastes funky. And then, yeah, it's just no funky. And, French you know, funk. Well, well there's, not, there's not funk there's, and there's funk. Yeah, there's there's yeah. French funk and then there's funky monkey there's, and then there's there's funky monkey know. and then there's George Clinton funk. Right. <laughs> and we can all hope our wines have the George Clinton funk. A little a little um, funkadelic. But but the other thing is is that um, I forgot where I was going with this about oh. the funk. I'll come back to it. Well, right. that's okay. Anyway, for you selling it. And um, are you seeing a big trend in, in, in red blends now? You know, you know when, I was, when I was at the Girl in the Fig, I saw a trend in red blends because we only did Rome varietals. And so the red Rome blends, I think, are one of those hot things. And, and um, proof in the pudding is if I were to turn to my right right now and look on the counter in your kitchen, I bet I would spot an open bottle of Han red blend. 
Yes, is it would. there? Yes. <laughs> it's there. It is. There. I don't even have to look. So th- there is definitely a trend. I think it has to do with um, um, price point because you can typically get some of these wines from uh, Central Valley and they're quality grapes. Um, uh, typically uh, GSM blends, Grenache, Syrah, Movedra, that you can get a good price. Now where I'm working right now is a different place in that I, I'm selling more Chardonnay and Pinot and Cab than I ever have in my life because it's, you know, it's primarily tourists that are coming from um, other parts of the country and, and that's what they know of wine country is they know um, they know Pinot Noir, they know Chardonnay, and they know Cabernet. Um, Do you try and sell a particular you know category? And and or? I'll I'll say this, and I, I I'm not shy about it. I think I've posted it on Facebook. I I do sell um, if I'm on the floor as a psalm. I'm tending to sell Stone Edge Farm, um, Cayman, sixteen six hundred. Um, not just because I know they're high quality wines, but it's they're wines that I know. Um, and I like to turn people onto something different. I will, if someone is interested in a cab and I'll ask them, you know, have you ever had a Grenache and turn them on to Sam's, uh, Grenache from the Oakville. Now um, that's a big difference though, cab to a Grenache. It's big, but oh, you know, I, mean, I think, cab is, is, uh, I think for the most part, and, and be, maybe it's because of my experience at the girl in the fig where for seven years you had people that came in that wanted a Pinot, a Chard or a cab and you turn them around onto something else. <laughs> That you realize that people, they don't necessarily want a cab, a charter, a pinot. It's, that's just what they know. Something that tastes good. They they want yeah, something that's a, high quality, that tastes good, and they have a good story or some knowledge about that you can tell them that they can take home with them. And and, and, and I think that's the key to it. If you can turn them on to a good bottle of wine, and it, they came in looking for a cab, but you turned them on to Grenache, and they, they left happy, then what's better than that? Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree with Brian and... You know, part of this whole red blend trend, and it's definitely there, um, a lot of it is, you know, cool labels that people, you know, get caught up in the marketing story of it. But ultimately, the wine's got to taste good. And and there's definitely a whole bunch of them out there that do. They taste good. Now, for as far as a winery trying to sell your wine or even a, a, a psalm, you know, where to place those wines on the wine list, it's tough. If All you right. if you make a red blend um, and it has a proprietary name, um, you know, is it is it a Cabernet? No. It might be Cabernet-based, but it's not a Cabernet. So some restaurants won't put it on the cab list. Other red blends. Other red yeah, blends. And, it. man, they just get lost. When you drink a beer. Except when I go in because that's you, the first place I go. Will you ever drink a beer out of a can? Sure. Or, or will you drink out of a bottle? I mean, uh, I mean, the quality drafted. of the call, quality of the beer and cans now. I, that's probably what I drink more than anything really? else. Really? Yeah. And the can doesn't bother you at all? No. Oh man! I either pour it into a glass or I, you know. Well, if you put a bottle in front of me in a can, um, and I'll they were both the, the same beer, I want the one that's colder. Well, <laughs> and, and and see, I just don't like the aluminum taste. I don't. Oh, the, I mean, the, the, see, I don't. No. I don't. There is no taste. You think you can pick that up? Absolutely. Flavor? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I worked with. Budweiser for years and years and years. Right. So yes, I can. Hmm. You know, I can tell a Miller High Life in a glass, clear glass bottle, over a um, you know a can of Bud or something right. like that. Yeah, right. it'd be but, fun to do that with you with like a you know Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, which comes in both glass and aluminum. 
But now you're Blind. going to be drinking wine out of cans. Yeah. I mean, that's the direction it's going. It's a um, great trend. Big popularity because of craft beer. And uh, I, see, I started important. drinking beer or wine out of cans when I was too young to. We Wait a minute! We what used are you to buy. I didn't, I didn't even know they existed. Oh, absolutely! Two years ago. Oh no, no, no! What? So, <laughs> you know, I'm fifty. I'm going to be fifty-two years old. And when I was seventeen years old, we You're had a guy. Kid. We had, we had a guy. Uh, we, uh, Used to get us beer and wine and everybody in Petaluma, right? Everybody. And we used to get we used to get Mickey's Big Mouths and red wine in a can. Right? What red wine in a can? Because man, we were cool. We were no, I mean red I wine. don't know this wine. Like I I grew up in Petaluma. I don't remember where did you get the red wine in a can? And what was, uh, what was the, the purpose? Name of like the it market. Was a, it was a market. It was right across from Pinky's Pizza. Uh, Pinky's Pizza. Okay, so and on little market now it's the Turkish restaurant. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I wonder George what the, and Josephine's. Wow, George and Josephine's. Yeah, Pinky's. We used to go. So if you won in your softball game or your soccer game, Pinky's right. is where you, you run, run right afterwards. Yeah. Sorry, folks, we're well, going down. You, you, a, we're going down to Petaluma, <laughs> California. Well, now, now you guys know here. the name Nielsen, right? They rate everything. Rating, yeah. Okay, yeah. so according to Nielsen, uh, sales of canned wine have increased. One hundred and twenty-five well, percent, but but wait in a minute. the last twenty in last year. But that's rosé. That's got to be rosé. But that's also because in the last year is the really the first time that a, there's been a large group of people canning wine. Right. Well, that's so okay. it's kind of like it's looking a, at unemployment numbers. You know, <laughs> understood. You have to look at the basis. You obviously though have a growth market. Sure, there, you do. There, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. We, we, we've been talking about niche marketing for natural wines, organic wines, yeah. canned wines. Now it's now you're really getting brand managers who, like at Imagery, who are starting to slice off the brand and put it into a can for these people. And that's about portability, bad. too, I think. I think if you're going to the beach, you're going to the river, you're going to the park... And the other thing about, you know, not, not having glass, um, carrying a bottle around, there is kind of a stigma when you're, when you're carrying a bottle around, whether it be a bottle of wine or a bottle of liquor. I mean, it looks like you're, um, well, if it's in a paper bag, it's one even, thing. That yeah. looks even worse, but, it, but, but people have gotten conditioned to see other people drinking out of a can and not think anything of it. They, it oh, might no. be a soft drink or right. whatever it is. So if you're drinking wine out of a can, I mean, you can basically do that anywhere uh, in town and not have anyone look at you twice. Yeah, I mean, I, I could go through my Instagram feed right now and I bet I could find 25 pictures of people drinking wine out of cans. And, uh, thanks to Paris you know, Hilton, too. I think um, she started a little trend with the with the single champagnes where they did these. They weren't even 375s. They were like 200 mils. And she would drink those and just put a straw in them and walk around and, and drink her champagne out of a straw. So I, I have there a good go. I have a good friend who's the winemaker for uh, Barefoot Wines, and Jen was with Barefoot when it was locally owned before. Well, I mean, not that it's not locally owned now because Gallon owns them now, but it was literally like a family that owned it and started in Sonoma because it came out of what was they started Davis here. Bynum. It was Davis Bynum. It was Davis That's Bynum, right. and then yeah, well, I thought they were, and then a family Australian. No, no, and then a family bought. Bought the brand from Davis Bynum, and they grew it into you know a large production, and then Gala bought them, and it exploded. But I remember going to the trade show, 
at least six or seven years ago with Jen and we were, you know, each walking around together looking for, um, I was looking for barrels and winemaking equipment and she was looking to, for new packaging, you know, and, you know, now they've done everything with barefoot. There's barefoot spritzers and, you know, they, they have them in boxes, they have them in cans. I mean, it's just exploded. The only, yeah, exploded. I see barefoot But to now, go back to that. Magnums. Slicing right. it off market by market. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Niche by niche. Yeah. Well, when we got to um, Bordeaux, it was a Sunday, and of course, nothing is open on a Sunday evening. I mean, you can't buy wine, can't do anything. The guy was nice enough to leave me a boxed Bordeaux, <laughs> and you know, it, it was just fine for the evening. I mean, it just it served its purpose. Um, we had you brought a box over the other night that was a magnum. In a box, for Christ's sake. And it was a tiny little box. You couldn't believe how much <laughs> wine you could actually fit in that tiny little box. Well, yeah, it's not like a scuba tank. You know, it's not where it's pressurized, but... Uh, yeah, it's no, some, it, some magical... It was absolutely <laughs> quite good, I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, And people, you know, younger people, they just don't care anymore. They don't care about the pretentiousness of... or I, mean, I don't even know if it's pretentiousness. They don't care if it's served in a bottle with a cork. If it's a screw cap, if it's in a can, if it's That's in a box, right. if it's good and the price is right, they'll buy it. And um, I think, and I think it's really about where you're at and what the situation is. Right. And we you know, s- if you're if you're at a barbecue and the only thing anyone's got is you know rosé in a can, you're probably not going to turn it down. No. Oh, rosé and ribs. <laughs> oh, really? Um, but I but I can't rosé and ribs. Rosé and ribs. I, I like uh, that. Nothing better. It's got but a nice I but I still. Sound. I would love to see the day when when someone orders um, a wine at the restaurant I'm working now, and and I bring it out <laughs> in a box. Never going to happen. And I bring it out and I present the box. <laughs> I mean, I would absolutely die if 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 I had the opportunity to do that. And then you just kind of turn the little spout and you press the little thing and you pour a little taste for them, and then you just left it on the table. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be great? Boy, coming that's soon. Never, coming soon to a restaurant happen, near you. Brian, never I don't know. ever gonna happen. Never say never, John. <laughs> All right. Well, you're the guy who serves, and you're you, you're you're in touch with everybody's trends. That's it. So, you know, is it that different? Um, you know, you say you sell a lot more cab and and other other wines now, but you know that i think uh, that your restaurant was oriented towards that like girl and fig very oriented towards Rhone wines actually kind of by that was that that wasn't that was not a really big decision for them to make i mean they kind of went for what was available around here didn't they for when they did oh, the, the Rhone girl wines? and the fig yeah. when they did that so the story is and you'll get seven different stories if you want to know the um Ask Sandra, but what she told me is that they originally, when they were opening the restaurant, they had no money. It was all mismatched silverware, mismatched plates, glassware, and they had to decide on the wine list. And and um, they knew that they could get off. You know, when you're paying for Chard, Cab, or Pinot, you're paying a more premium price. So they knew that they could get some of these other own things. And they were Frank and Files, so they loved French wine. They knew that they could get sort of off varietals for a better price. And ultimately what they did is went and bought a bunch of these Sanso, Grenache, Carignan, brought them back to the restaurant. They already had the menu set. So what they did is sat down for dinner and opened up all these wines and decided that these wines really worked well with the food. 
So at that point, they said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do Roan only. And if, and if in six months or three months or whatever, people start complaining too much and there's a lot of pushback, <laughs> then we'll put a Chardonnay on or we'll put a Cabernet on. Um, and I think I've told this story a thousand times. But w- what's so great is what ends up happening at the restaurant is when people sit down, you're used to people sitting down, looking over at the list. There's always the, the one guy at the table that knows wine more than everyone else. So he's in charge of the wine list. He picks a wine, he points at it, you bring it to him, you show it to him, you pour it for him, he gives you the nod, and you pour the wine. And, and that's how it goes 90% of the time. That never happens at the girl in the fig. What happens is they sit down and they say, they have this look on their face, and you say, you know, can I help you choose a wine? Well, normally we drink Cab, we drink Chard, we drink Pinot, we drink Sauvignon Blanc. Well, what is it you like about those particular wines? Let me point you in the direction of you like Chardonnay. Have you ever had a Marsan? You like Cabernet? Have you ever had a Syrah? So it starts this whole conversation. Before the people have even ordered food or looked at the food menu, you, you're having a five-minute long conversation with them about their likes and dislikes, which opens up a lot of possibilities yeah, and they opportunities. Must enjoy that. It's, it's incredible. It's one of those things. It doesn't happen at, at, at other restaurants. So and, that's and the magic of the, of the wine list there is that it just opens up this whole opportunity of conversation and exploration and you're turning them on to something new. And, and th- that's the whole magic of that wine list. And, and one of the greatest things about wine is how it incites conversation. Right. Oh, that's a, the, the I mean, perfect way to end the show, too. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, look at, look at us all going through, what, 12 episodes? Yeah. You know? And, and, and people calling and people buying wine. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting that somebody's buying his wine right now because of the show down at Sam's. Yeah. That's it's. Absolutely perfect. From Shanghai. Shout out to Shanghai, Shanghai once again. Shanghai, baby. Our, yeah. new favorite, uh, Shanghai. our new favorite place. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm sorry that Sam is gone. He will be back uh, soon. And uh, I'm sure uh, once the snow is gone from Tahoe, he'll... he'll it's got to be soon. He'll, he'll be home. Uh, Bart, thank you so much for coming over today. Great to be and, here. Thanks for having uh, us. DaneSellers.com, if you That's put in idea. your That's pre-orders it. for this Chenin Blanc, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to buy half of it. Well, you, so that means there's only the other half uh, left. How many cases? Uh, we'll do about 175 cases. I got 100 of them. Put up the cash, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Brian Casey, Psalm of, of all Sonoma. Thank you so much. For of, all, yeah. of all Sonoma. <laughs> all things Sonoma. All, all of things all things Sonoma. Sonoma. And, and Runner Park. Yeah. You got it. So, <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you uh, next week. And thanks for listening to The Winemakers. Thanks, John. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you.